0: The cold brew podcast second episode second week it is september 9th in 2020 and uh we will continue to discuss all things brewers baseball over a couple of beers in true wisconsin fashion i got myself a miller light today as per usual uh i am joined by matt carroll and a uh, fellow reviewing contributor tyler kirth matt tyler what what beers do you guys have today
1: well, we got uh, Capital Brewery Fishing in the Dark, um, a oh. nice Imperial Schwarzbier. beer, apparently. Um, also, just want to point out that I'm sporting uh, the Keston Hura jersey, the only player who didn't get a hit today in today's uh, crazy <laughs> blowout win. Um, he did get on base, though. We'll obviously uh, break that down in a little bit.
2: Yeah, and I got a Hinterland Oktoberfest, decided to go with a little bit darker beer given the gloomy weather of Wisconsin mm-hmm. lately, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it, that's for sure.
0: Oh yeah, so you guys kind of go a little bit with the the smaller breweries, and I just go with your mainstream Miller Lite. Typical me. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right, so yeah, a lot, lot to discuss uh, today, a lot happening, um, and you know, earlier earlier today, here on Wednesday, the Brewers defeated the Detroit Tigers in uh, a very close game. Uh, the Brewers won <laughs> 19 to nothing. Um, so this, this was kind of secondhand embarrassment for Detroit, because it's kind of similar to Packers defeating the Lions. Um, it was it was nuts. The offense came alive finally. We've been waiting for something like this for pretty much all season. Um, The the Brewers had not scored more than nine runs at at any point in any game uh, this year. And they put up 19, put up crooked numbers in in several innings. When when they got runners on, they were able to bring them in. They didn't just leave everybody stranded. 21 hits, 19 runs. Uh, Matt, I'll start with you. I mean, this is something that the offense has really kind of – it's been waiting for, and it's been desperately needing. Yeah, I mean, th- like you said on the account earlier,
1: it's amazing what happens when you string together hits, isn't it? Um, especially extra base hits because they went on that run of doubles to start and you could tell it was going to be a, a good day. Um, a lot of previous games you'd see that happen. You get a leadoff, I mean, even yesterday, leadoff double and either turns into nothing or one run. Um, and it just kept happening over and over and over again today. 19 runs, 21 hits, um, seven walks thrown in there. They set a franchise record, I believe I saw, for extra base hits in a game. Um, Every single player, except for, like I said, the aforementioned Keston Hira, got a hit today, although he didn't walk. Um, That, you know, there's always been that potential. And yeah, this is an outlier game. Like, they're obviously not going to score 19 runs um, every time the offense breaks out. But you saw we're the not. sorts of things, that, yeah, right? You saw the sorts of things that um, we've been waiting for. You know, Yelich got a RBI double. Um, it's the guys who are supposed to knock in runs. We're knocking in runs today. The guys who are supposed to get on base. We're getting on base today. Um, and then add in the pitching performance, and it was just all around dominance.
2: Yeah, it was a certainly fun game to watch. I think the cool thing for me was looking at. The we're going to call them the repeat offenders offensively because we haven't had much going offensively. We had two doubles from Garcia in the game, two from Urias and two from Taylor, and then, of course, two home runs from Jerko. So hopefully they didn't waste all their runs in one game. And as David was saying, they were hitting with runners in scoring position, 10 of 20 for this game, which just (laughs) makes me chuckle like it's been terrible all season and then all of a sudden this today, like, Wow, crazy. Obviously, hopefully they can they can pick it up, but you can't expect it 500 with runners in scoring position going forward.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it, it was just kind of crazy seeing all of it finally come together and like hopefully it'll be something where it kind of gets all these guys hot. Because I mean, hitting is contagious in general, and this is the only contagious thing that we want going around that clubhouse at, at <laughs> the moment. Um, but I mean, like you could just tell, like once it got started, it just it just kept on it just kept on rolling, and you know hopefully that'll be something that, that will spark this offense for the final couple of weeks. And I mean, looking at the box score for today's game, like the box score was just absolutely beautiful. I mean, it's it's one of the best box scores I've, I've ever seen. Orlando Arcia four for six, three runs scored. Luis Urias three for six, two runs, five RBIs. Tyrone. Taylor, four for five, three runs, three RBIs, and his first career homer. Jed Jerko, two for five, two homers. Avasil Garcia, two for four, three runs, two walks, two RBIs. I mean, like, that was just that, – that was exactly what the doctor ordered for this Brewers offense, and it, it really – I mean, maybe it just takes playing against the Tigers and, and their pitching staff. But, I mean, they, they weren't able to do this the game before. That They weren't really able to do this in the first series against the Tigers I was back in Miller Park. And they're doing this in a for-sure pitcher's park at Comerica. It's 420 to dead center out there. First of all, who designed that? Like, <laughs> who, like who approved? Like, oh, yeah, let's, let's put a 420 dead center. I mean – but, like, did they have the entire pitching staff just come up with, you know, the, the field dimensions of that place? Like, it, it's ridiculous. And then they put up 19 runs there. It's it's so hard to get a grasp on, on this offense. Yeah,
1: I mean, they pointed it out during the broadcast that Brewers at one point just started peppering that left field corner um, mm-hmm. with singles and doubles, and it just kept bringing guys around to score. And, you know, like you pointed out, uh, playing the Tigers uh, didn't mean anything yesterday because we couldn't score anything then. But I mean, Boyd who had a really rough start to the season um, had actually settled down as of late. I think they had said uh, that over his last three starts, uh, he had an ERA just over three. So, you know, much better than he had started off the season with much more like he looked in previous years when You know, he started becoming a trade deadline name and the Brewers apparently just didn't care about any of that because they just tore him and every other pitcher who came in a new one. So um, they did what they needed to do and everything. I mean, it was just solid contact constantly.
2: Yeah, you certainly can't argue with the results that you put up, as you guys are mentioning. I was really impressed with what Burns did. I know there's a lot of talk going on <laughs> him right now. <laughs> uh, for Saw Young, Corbin Burns, but uh, seven innings, 11 strikeouts in this game, and he only threw 90 pitches. I mean, if the Brewers weren't dominating by a crap ton at that point, I mean, could we have maybe seen him go – pitch eight innings strong, maybe? Do I dare say even try to go for the shutout? I don't know, but Um, obviously the score kind of ruined that.
0: (laughs) I I think the one thing that might have changed that, okay, let's talk about Corbin Burns now, and I am all excited to talk about Corbin Burns. We might be doing this for the next, like, the rest of the episode Uh, (laughs) because I could talk about him all day long. Um, But, yeah, Corbin Burns, I I think there is a chance that that he could have gone eight or nine innings if he still had – the no hitter. He had it through like four, four and a third or something. Then, then in the fifth inning, he, he gave up that triple to Willie Castro with a hanging slider or a hanging sinker. Um, and then once that kind of was out the window, Councils Craig Council normally doesn't like to push his starters just for complete games or whatever. Like he just kind of uses an arbitrary thing that you know it, it's really kind of not worth getting. But if it's a no hitter. I, Craig would would handle it differently. I, I feel like, um, but since he gave up that hit, um, you know Burns wasn't gonna you know keep on going. He was at 90 pitches through seven, which is I mean it's a good spot. I, I think the most pitches he's ever thrown in a game is 94 um, in his career. So um, you know I, I don't think he would have sent him much further back back out there. I think it was a good spot to to take him out um you know seven strong innings just you know get him out there feeling good you know he doesn't have the no hitter or perfecto anymore so just take him out give the other guys you know get the other guys some work and uh just kind of keep on rolling
1: yeah i mean he had it been a close game like you said 90 pitches over seven um something lucky happens in that eighth inning and maybe he's still in the 90s he would have possibly had the chance for you know the no hitter but it makes sense you've got this big stretch of games coming up you don't want to overwork him before we get into it um and I'm glad they uh did end up getting uh inning in for Yardley just to get him kind of loosened up and then Lindblom as well um Mm -hmm. he needed to get a couple different outings of work after coming out of the rotation during the end of this road trip because he's going to be relied upon we'll touch on that too um and with the uh is it eight games in six days I believe is what's coming up um they're they're going to need a lot of arms and they're going to need a lot of arms pitch uh multiple outings and so to get him loosened back up I was glad to see Lindblom out there so it allowed for that opportunity as well
2: yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Lynn Bloom, but let's dial it back into Corbin Burns. Like <laughs> we can't just not talk about him for how well he's doing. I saw David talking earlier on Twitter about him going for Cy Young, which usually in the offseason yeah, when I right. normally I normally just kind of laugh and be like, Yeah, the stuff's there, but he just he hasn't proven it. But what, 19 consecutive innings now without allowing a run? Hitters are batting 142 against him. He's got 64 strikeouts and 45 innings. The season ERA is down below two at 1.99. He's among the league leaders in the MLB in most pitching categories. So I think there is some consideration there.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Finally, we're getting more people on board. This hype train is going. It is going full speed. Yeah, like you said, 1.99 ERA. Uh, That is, I think, fourth in the National League now because now Burns has enough innings to qualify uh, for for the ERA title and everything else. It's, you know, one game per team or one inning per team game played. He was like two-thirds of an inning shy, um, like, coming into this outing. So now he's got enough innings to qualify. And, yeah, 1.99 ERA. I think that's fourth in the National League. 0.9 whip. Uh, 4.37 hits per nine. That's best in the NL. 4.37. Randy Johnson never had an, a season below six hits per nine. Like Corbin Burns hasn't even allowed six hits in a single outing all season. The the most hits he's allowed in an outing is five, and that was against the Pirates a couple weeks ago, I think. Uh, 12.7 strikeouts per nine. That's second in the National League. In his last three in his last three starts. He has not allowed a single earned run covering 19 innings. He has 28 strikeouts and just three walks. He's gone six innings, six innings, seven innings over those, over those games. He's only allowed seven total hits in three games. Seven total hits. No runs, three walks, 28 strikeouts. Like th- this, is, this is obviously the best like three-start stretch of his career. Um, and it's really just kind of, I, I think, a sign of things to come. I've, obviously, I've, I've been in this corner, and I think it's it's all going to be great things to come. Uh, but, yeah, like, it is, it has been phenomenal, and the Brewers have won each of his last three games, and he's finally gotten run support. Like, I, I looked at his game logs. the The last three games, the Brewers have scored seven runs, nine runs, and 19 runs now in his last three starts. So it's amazing when you give a guy run support he pitches well. It's it's crazy. It's mind-boggling. You know, and if
1: there's anyone who could have used that extra run support, it's him as a guy yeah. who's trying to, you know, reestablish himself as a quality major league starter. Um, so, you know, there's guys like Woodruff. He's done it. You know, if he has to be in a close game, you know, outside of how his recent performance has been, he maybe could handle that a little bit better. So it's it's nice to see him get that. And now he's strung together a few awesome performances to where if he does get into maybe in one of those sticky situations, he's going to be fine because these past three outings have shown he can pitch long outings extremely well.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And if you told me that at the beginning of the year, I would not believe we're having this conversation. It was all pretty much hypothetical conversations. And I think the craziest part is, He's really having a success this year and just kind of reinventing himself. I and mean, he's primarily a sinker cutter pitcher now. And both of those are well above 90 miles per hour. And then he just mixes in all these other pitches and he's locating them extremely well. It's not like last year is accidentally leaving pitches right down the middle or middle, middle to the, the batters and giving up the home runs. It's he misses sometimes and can get into the walk problems, But that's still a lot better than accidentally leaving pitches over the middle. And with how much his stuff moves, he's getting a lot of swings and misses. And as David said, one of the best at strikeout percentages in MLB this year. Yeah,
0: and he's and he's cut into the walks too. Like I said, only three walks in his last three games. Um, He had no walks today, uh, which which was great to see. Um, You know, he's he's commanding his pitches, like you said, Tyler um and and he's commanding within the zone with this fastball and he's moving his off speed all over the place Uh, we we talked about his arsenal changes and everything else last week with robert murray um and and, in uh one of my articles on reviewing the group just kind of talking about his arsenal and and what he's done and you know he was talking after the game with uh scott braun and dan plisak and you know the the youtube broadcast crew and you know, he, he was talking about how, like, you know, he, he changed up his arsenal and, and the pitch mix and, you know, how he's got things moving now and, and keeping guys off balance, uh, which is great to see. Apparently, he's also he's another one of those guys that is trying to replicate Devin Williams' changeup uh, and add that to his arsenal because every single Brewers pitcher has seen that changeup, and they've all tried to replicate it, and none of them can do it. Like Brent Suter, I know, said he was trying to now Burns it. Like if Burns could somehow pull it off, and I sent this to to pitching ninja as well. Like if Burns can add Devin Williams's changeup, this is just going to be completely unfair to everyone. And it's and it's just like he he replied with like a, a clip of like Burns saying it's like oh yeah if I can add Devin Williams changeup I'll I'll feel really good about myself. It's like dude <laughs> that is that is going to be absolutely insane. Um, I don't think he'll be able to do it. I mean, he's he's good enough on his own with the five pitches that he has, but, you know, God, it's, it's just it's just insane to, to, to think about. I mean, he,
1: it, even if he doesn't, he's got a change up that he throws here and there this year that he's only given up three hits off of all year. So, you know, he's in pretty good hands as it is. But uh, um, it, it's kind of crazy just to think of where we are because at the beginning of the year you had – um smolt saying that brandon woodruff was his dark horse for cy young you had there was an mlb article that went out about adrian hauser about a bunch of pitches up uh, pitchers but hauser was on it about how he had some interesting Statcast metrics working in his favor and here we are with corbin burns for the last couple of weeks performing as arguably the best starting pitcher on the team like i'm outside of david
2: who expected us to be here at this point? Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. And I, if you want to go back to the Cy Young conversations with Corbin Burns, I mean, this would be the year to do it, right? Like, mm-hmm. he just ultimately can't give up, like, what was his worst start it was against the Pirates when he gave up three earned runs. I mean, yeah. that's going to, you know, burn oh, his ERA a little Ugh. bit, but he can not have a blow-up start.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's really all going to kind of depend on, you know, how his, his final few starts go over the last couple of weeks. I mean, he's still competing with guys like you Darvish and um, Jacob deGrom and and Max Scherzer and uh, you know, really kind of your typical Cy Young candidates that you would think of in the national league. Um, And and they're having strong seasons. Um, So, you know, if Burns can find a way to, to separate himself from those guys, if maybe they struggle a little bit and Burns continues to dominate, um, maybe, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm hoping for an actual win. Um, but I, I think, I think there's a very good chance that Burns will, will get some votes uh, for the Cy Young at, at the very least. Um, and, and just kind of an, another stat I want to touch on, because I, I didn't mention it earlier. Corbin Burns has a 0.2 home runs per nine allowed this year. Last year, he was at 3.1 home runs per nine inning. Like, it, the, the changes that he's made, he's only allowed one home run so far to this point. Knock on wood. Um, like, he's only allowed one. And last year, the long ball was a big issue with him. And now... It's it's not really it's not really even an issue at all. He's keeping it in the ballpark, and good things are happening.
1: Yeah, I mean between pitch selection and pitch location, it's he's clearly fooling batters on a different level this year. Um, yeah, uh, and it's it's nuts also to even think that we're you just mentioned his name with the likes of Degrom and Darvish and Scherzer. And the guys who are perennially in this conversation for the Cy Young. And yeah, right. I mean, by the numbers, Corbin Burns is right there.
2: Yeah, he certainly is. And even when you look at the guys like DeGrom and like you all mentioned, he's given up the least amount of hits all season long between these guys. So I, I think that backs up everything we're saying.
0: Cy Young. Corbin Burns, Cy Young hype train. It's coming. Coming to, to a town near you. all right um so another uh, member of this rotation um adrian hauser uh he started the first game of the series against the tigers and uh things did not go as well for him as they went for corbin burns so he's uh had he's really had some struggles his last couple of times out uh and we got uh, a question uh about uh Adrian Hauser on uh, on Twitter, uh, Mike is asking if there's any chance uh, we could see Freddie uh, Freddie Peralta back in the rotation and Adrian Hauser back in the bullpen where he was dominant last season. to like, so this point, uh, birds running out of starters other than Woodruff or Burns, so they're getting shelled constantly. Uh, but yeah, like Adrian Hauser, you know, he was coming into the year, he was expected to be, you know, a really kind of a, a dominant pitcher. Um, for this team and probably the number two on this staff uh, and, and really he's kind of struggled his last couple of times out uh, and it's just kind of been interesting to see the changes from him from his success last year in the rotation to his struggles this year
1: yeah I mean five earned runs given up in each of his last two starts four earned runs in each of the two before that um, he actually looked relatively sharp at the beginning of um, yesterday's outing. And then, you know, he ends up having that big inning again and things go south. Um, that, un- unfortunately um, for Mike, I, I think we are going to see Freddie in the rotation, but I don't think it's for the reason that he's hoping for. Um, like it, like I said earlier, the Brewers are playing eight games over the next six days. They've already announced the pitchers for the next three games as being uh, Woodruff, Brett Anderson, and Hauser. So he's already penciled in as a starter unless there's a last-minute change. You have a doubleheader on Monday where you would theoretically have... um, You would have Burns going again and then probably have to go to your fifth starter unless you want Woody working off a two-day's rest. Um, So you probably have Lindblom re-entering the rotation at that point. Then you have Tuesday's game... Um, you could go with your sixth starter or you could have Woody work off of three days' rest. That's more reasonable, um, but you have a double header again right after that, where if you only went with five guys, you'd be right back to Brett Anderson on three days' rest and then Hauser off a two. That's definitely not happening. So I think what's more likely is you're gonna have Freddie penciled in for that Tuesday game to push everyone and then Hauser's second start over that stretch gets. Um, pushed to the Kansas City, City, Kansas City series the following weekend. So we're going to need a whole bunch of starters. Um, unfortunately, that's going to mean Hauser. Um, hopefully he looks a little bit more like he did in the first few innings of his last start than he did in uh, at the end of it. But And we know he's got it in there. Um, it, he went, uh, gave up just one earned run over his first two outings that covered 12 innings after two games, he was down. That's a .75 ERA, nine strikeouts, just six hits. Um, he had it early, and now it's just kind of uh, dropped a little bit. So he's, we're going to need all the arms we can get over these, these two series against the Cubs and Cardinals, and he's going to have to be one of them. After that, maybe they can evaluate whether or not to put him in the bullpen uh, towards the final stretch.
2: Yeah, I agree. In the short term, there just, there isn't a reason to put Adrian Hauser into the bullpen. And the unfortunate part for him, especially in his last start, is I think there was some bad luck that really happened his way, especially in that fifth inning where he got tagged with a bunch of earned runs. He needed a a ground ball to generate a double play to get out of the inning. And that's when Lee Sirius didn't throw the ball to second base to turn two because, well, maybe the base runner was kind of in his way. Maybe not. He should have just thrown it, whatever. <laughs> but ultimately that extended the inning for the Tigers. And then Hauser ends up loading the bases again. And then Brett Suter comes in and proceeds to give up three straight hits, which makes Adrian Hauser's final stat line look like he has five earned runs, which – I mean that's what it was, but it, it, it's some bad luck there. And I, you were mentioning he was looking a little bit better early on in that start, and I would agree. His fastball, that two-seamer, was breaking so hard into those right-handed hitters, he was getting a lot of just ridiculous swings by Tigers batters. So it, it's kind of like he's the Corbin Burns of the past, like where his stuff is so good, he just he just can't get the results. So. Something needs to change here for Hauser, whether it's using that two seamer more um, to help generate more of those whiffs, which is one of the best pitches that he has in that regard. Um, or, or what, I don't know, maybe it was bad luck, kind of like I mentioned, kind of a combination if I had to guess.
0: It's crazy that you mentioned that Tyler, because I was just about to mention the same thing, how it's kind of similar to, to Corbin Burns last year. Cause I, I saw this question before we, before we started. So I was looking through his fan graphs page trying to come up with some sort of explanation as to why uh, Hauser's is pitching like this and why the results are the way they are. And it it was kind of confusing, like soft contact rate is up. He's getting more soft contact than, than he, than he got last year. Hard contact rate is down. Um, The, his strikeout rate is down a little bit. his, um, his fastball isn't graded as highly as it was last year is the, the weighted or the, the score that the fan gives it was at a 14, a, a positive 14 last year. And this year it's, it's at a positive 1.9. Now, I don't know if that's like a cumulative over the whole season thing. And that's why the number is lower because it's not quite as many innings, but you know, the, the grade on the fastball is, is down. It's not quite as good as it was last year. Um, he's getting more swings on pitches outside the zone. Um, he's, get, he's getting the same amount of uh, swinging strikes, uh, of swing and misses. Um, but I, I think one of the big concerns is the home run to fly ball rate is up. It's at 28.6% of the fly balls against him are, are hit out of the park. And, I mean, he's, he's an extreme ground ball pitcher. So, I mean, if they get it in the air, I mean, it's probably going to go for a while. But, you know, still, it's kind of a, a weirdly high uh, home run fly ball rate against him um and and his strikeout rate is down a little bit the the BABIP against him is up a little bit it's at 331 but it's not obscenely high it's not like you know way over like his career his career BABIP is at like 308 or something so I mean it's higher than than average but it's not an absurdly high thing like the 400 BABIP that that Corbin Burns had last year but it's just kind of like a weird combination of stats and, and it's just kind of hard to, to pinpoint you know where you know things are going wrong for Hauser and you know it, it may just be a, a combination you know death by a thousand cuts or whatever but it's it's just kind of weird looking at a stats trying to understand why he's no longer having the kind of success that he had last year that, that 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 he's not having this year.
1: Yeah I mean you mentioned him being an extreme ground ball pitcher yesterday was actually the first time all year that he didn't get more ground balls than fly balls. And it was actually the same. It was six and six. So he is still inducing more grounders than flies at this point. Um, Okay amount of strikeouts. He's not walking a ton. Um, He hasn't had more than three walks in an outing. So hopefully it is a little bit of just bad luck. Um, I mean, his FIP is sitting at 4.69. So it's a little bit under his ERA. Um, Suggests a little bit of um, hopefully regression down with those runs could be happening but um not so low that it's seems like it's extreme bad luck but he is getting the ground balls and like you said it's still soft contact so it maybe it is just that the ones they are connecting with are just happen to be big ones each time I don't know um but like I said hopefully just the beginning of yesterday's game offers some promise uh going forward because we're going to need it
2: Yeah, the ground ball aspect is interesting. He's throwing that sinker damn near 49% of the time here. And then you mentioned how hard he's getting hit on some of his other pitches. The slugging percentage against his changeup is 474. Slugging percentage against his slider, 895. And these are pitches that he throws 11 to 12% of the time. So is it location or should he start looking away from those pitches? I think like percentage wise 10 11% that's that's a good mix for him i think he needs to bring that four seamer that two seam fastball up closer to his sinker range um, and mix those two pitches in better and then just kind of sprinkle in those off speed pitches which is very similar to like a repertoire that Corbin Burns is using this year obviously with just a couple different pitch selections
0: yeah and his pitch mix it really hasn't changed much from last year to this year I mean, his, his fastball usage is is down like a percentage or two, and I think his curveball usage is up like a percentage or two. But, like, that's not really changing that much. Um but yeah, his slider has consistently got, gotten negative grades. Um, and, yeah, that, that's a very high slugging against it uh, that, that you mentioned, like 895, right? Yeah. So, like, it's I, – I think it, it might just be location. It might be just kind of be similar to Corbin Burns where he's just missing – within the strike zone and that they're just able to, to knock it for base hits. And, and that's really kind of what's leading to his issue because most, most of the outside stuff really, really hasn't changed with, with the pitch mix or, or the other, you know, swing rates or whatever else. So I, I think it's just, you know, when they do make contact with it, they do get it for base hits. And, and that's really kind of what, what's causing his issue because I mean, he hasn't changed the mix, uh, I mean the, the stuff hasn't changed that much his fastball velocity is down like a mile an hour I, I think he averaged like 94 or something on his fastball last year and now it's like 93 like 938 or 939 that it's averaging um so maybe losing a tick or two there also isn't helping um but yeah it's just it might just be a I don't know if it's going to take a a trip to the pitching lab or something for them to figure out what it is, but uh, it's just kind of, it's kind of weird.
1: Yeah. I mean, Tyler, you said he needs to get his pitching kind of up more like Corbin Burns. Wouldn't it be great if all our pitchers were more like Corbin Burns right now?
2: (laughs)
0: Yes. We could have five Cy Youngs in the starting rotation.
2: You know, I'm really surprised that we, we mentioned Devin Williams' changeup earlier, and you guys didn't mention the words "reliever of the year." Um, mm. What are what are your considerations for that?
0: I mean, I, I think I think he certainly deserves a lot more recognition. I, I think he should um, be able to push for Rookie of the Year. Um, I don't know if he's actually going to win that, but I, I think he definitely should get some votes. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's just been dominant. Um, I mean, the changeup. I mean, we've I, we talked about the the changeup in Dev Williams um, a lot last week as well. But it's just he just keeps on he just keeps on dominating. And you know, he's really kind of not getting the the outside recognition outside of really pitching ninja. Um, but I mean, there's I mean, j- just looking at the numbers, I mean, he is arguably the, the best reliever in baseball this year, he, even better than Josh Hader. And Josh Hader's only allowed like one hit.
1: Yeah, it's, it's hard because reliever of the year is almost always going to go to a closer. Like, yeah. it, people love saves. Um, it, look at how, I mean, just to see how much saves affect things, look at how that affected uh, Josh Hader's arbitration battle. This off season, um, the, literally, it all just surrounded him being a, a closer. So, it, I think, it, I mean, we all see what Devin Williams does. Um, Pitching Ninja throws out the videos. Like, it, it's hard to imagine there's someone out there that's more dominant than he is. But, it, it, bottom line is, he's not saving games, and that goes for, you know, Rookie of the Year too. Unfortunately, that's usually going gonna go to uh, a dominant starter or a crazy good offensive player um, whether it's fair or not you know I absolutely think he should be in consideration for both of those but uh, I think he has more of a chance in the reliever of the year especially if he keeps his you know ERA as low as it is or even lower if his per nine keeps being crazy high um, he would have a chance at that but you know it's probably it may end up going to someone like Kenley Jansen you know who's got double digit saves um, I don't know you know, what the rest of his number look like, but I know he's up there in saves and I'm sure a lot of other people realize that too. And, you know, he probably slides right into early consideration or Josh Hader. If he bounces back from that five walk performance, he had a decent outing right after that. If he carries that through to the end of the year, you could realistically see Josh Hader winning a third straight reliever of the year, even possibly not the best reliever on his team.
2: (laughs) I think you can make an argument. Like if you take back or look back to 2018, when Josh Hader won reliever of the year, he didn't necessarily have those gaudy save statistics that we've been talking about, but it was the strikeout rates that everyone just seems to love. And Devin Williams has that. If you look at his K per nine ratio, 18.5 this year. Is good enough for 53% of the batters that he's faced this year. <laughs> so I think he does have that working in his favor.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the stats he's put up is crazy. And the stats on his changeup, hitters are like, what, over 31 with like 23 strikeouts against his changeup? Like, it's, it, it's insane. Um, and, and even Pitching Ninja has described it as the best changeup on the planet. Um yeah, I mean he's consi- he's consistently like gotten more it's like, oh, this is a nasty changeup. Oh, this is arguably the best changeup in the league. Oh, this is the best changeup in baseball. Oh, this is the best changeup on the planet. Like it just it was just a progression going forward. And it, it's just it, it's nuts, man. That just just kind of the, the numbers that, that he's putting up. And I mean, for rookie of the year, I don't think there's really a runaway national league rookie of the year. Um I, I don't know if if uh, Williams will be able to get reliever of the year but I mean rookie of the year there's Jake Cronenworth of the Padres, um, Dustin May of the Dodgers those are really kind of the two uh, big NL contenders but like you know there, there's really kind of not much there in the most, most of the big rookies this year are in the American League you know Kyle Lewis and Luis Roberts and, and guys like that, um, that that are really kind of you know being dominant um, but, but they're in the American League for the National League Rookie of the Year. I mean, I, I think Williams certainly warrants some consideration, some votes. Um, again, like we were talking about, since he's not a closer, since he's not going to be getting all, the, all those gaudy save numbers, you know, he might not be getting the public recognition. But, I mean, the numbers he's putting up, I mean, you, you could argue that he's been a, a better player than, than those other guys.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a good point, Tyler, um, about Hater in 2018. But uh, even I, – I thought it was in the broadcast that they brought up Cronworth as uh, – it was somewhere I heard it recently about the leading the way for Rookie of the Year. Dustin May, absolutely another one. Dustin May wasn't actually supposed to start the season on the roster, though he ended up filling in for Kershaw in the first game in a spot start when Kershaw ended up getting hurt. So, I mean – if you've got a guy in May who was supposed to start the season at the, their alternate site versus Williams who made the team right off the bat, you know, my vote's going to Williams, but also I'm a little biased. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're not biased at all. You're just speaking the truth. Come on
0: now. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's going to be an interesting race. And obviously with the, with a shortened season, it makes it, you know, a little more difficult to, to get a full grasp on you know the impact some of these guys have, but um, yeah, like it's it's just it's just been really cool to see him kind of turn into the the pitcher that, that he's been. I mean, he wasn't a highly rated prospect coming in. I mean, he was somewhere in the in the mid lower teens uh, on the Brewers' farm system rankings, um, and you know he wasn't really a, a celebrated you know call I was like oh yeah he's just going to be a, another bullpen guy. Uh, but then, I mean, he turned into the, the dominant force that he is now. And that allowed the Brewers to trade David Phelps, basically. Um, and, and he's really kind of now established himself as, as a setup guy. And it, like Robert Murray said last week, it, it could allow them to uh, be more comfortable trading Josh Hader uh, at some point in the near future. Because, you know, if they believe Devin Williams can keep this up going forward, then you know, they can trade Josh Hader because he's going to be very expensive over, over the next couple of years, can just continually getting more expensive. And he's going to be at his peak value for a little bit longer. Uh, but, you know, you, you kind of want to get as much as you can back for him if you're going to trade him. Um, and, you know, that, that might be, you know, this next offseason. It might be next offseason. It might be the offseason after that. But, you know, if. It, it, Devin Williams continues to, to pitch like this and, and can be a closer for the next several years, then that that'll allow the Brewers to kind of make that kind of shift with Hater and perhaps, you know, fill in their, their offense or, or the rest of their rotation with um, whatever they get back for him.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know you've thrown out there a couple times though, if we weren't to send Hader packing, can you imagine that Canable Williams hater combo at the end of the bullpen oh. yeah. throw drew rasmussen in, in there once he gets a little more comfortable in games um i was looking so knabel made his uh return i think it was yesterday um and that was good to see um i was looking to see what that fastball looked like um, he had averaged 93.9 miles an hour on it for the season so far when he came back he averaged 93.7 last night so it was still right around the same thing um, but I know they had mentioned that part of what he tinkered with a little bit while he was up at the alternate site was he fell into some bad habits with location, some bad habits in general. And so, you know, he tried to work on that uh, for when he came back up and he looked better, you know, he got out when he needed to get out. So it was not the just can getting ripped apart experience that we've had from earlier. So if he's able to do that and just keep stacking up appearances, hopefully as that arm builds up, then the velocity can come back and he becomes even more that Corey Knebel that we recognize. But uh, velocity still isn't quite there yet. Um, hopefully, I would, I would like to see him in somewhat lower leverage situations. There's going to be all kinds of situations over the next six days, so he'll get plenty of opportunities to pitch. Um, it'll just be a matter of when he's pitching.
2: Yeah, the velocity is certainly concerning. I think it will become even more concerning if next year, after a full off season and hopefully normal startup, it doesn't look at least a little bit closer than what it was pre Tommy John. But for now, this year, I mean, you mentioned there's going to be a lot of weird situations coming up, which is true, but there's also what, two, two and a half weeks left in the season. So how many low leverage spots are there going to be with all these Cardinal games coming up? I don't know. Hopefully the Brewers aren't on the opposite end of a zero to 19 blowout. (laughs) That would not be good. But we also still really haven't replaced anyone from David Phelps's high leverage spots right I mean I think since we've traded him we've had one situation where maybe we'd be like oh who's gonna who's it gonna be and I, they elected to go with Devin Williams for two innings rather than throw another arm out there so well at the same point I'm kind of agree that yeah I'd much rather see him in low leverage spots I still think he in two and a half weeks he could be seen in some high leverage spots and if he build some early momentum as in has like two successful appearances throughout that. We could see him continue to do that throughout the remainder of the year as well. You just never know.
0: Yeah. It's going to be uh, interesting to see how, how council uh, handles that bullpen over the final couple of weeks. And, you know, like you said, a lot of games against Cardinals coming up, all 10 of them that they're going to play against Cardinals this season are going to happen in a span of 14 days. Uh, to end the year. Uh, so it's going to be uh, very interesting to watch. And the, the Brewers are two games behind the Cardinals right now uh, in the NL Central Division standings. Uh, they have played um, looks like six more games uh, than the Cardinals have. Cause they had that stretch where uh, Yadier Molina and everyone got coronavirus and uh, they could not play for, I think it was almost like two weeks um, so they've had a bunch of doubleheaders to try to catch things back up, um, and they currently sit. Uh, the Brewers currently sit two games back of them and five games back of the Chicago Cubs atop the division. Um, so the Brewers are two games out of a play of a, out of a guaranteed playoff spot right now. Uh, top two teams in each division make it. Um, what do you guys think? You you think that. Uh, this is going to end up being a playoff team. Do you think the Brewers end up making it or will they fall short?
1: Um, I mean, we'll, we'll know in six days or seven days, (laughs) as far as I know. Um, I think that this is easily the most pivotal stretch of their season. It's eight games against divisional foes. You know, we can make up a ton of ground in this and it's just, it's going to be a matter of, you know, Can we put up some offense? Um, Luckily our you know, the Cubs, they haven't announced their starters for the next three games. Um, But in trying to map out what's happened in recent games, it looks like we should be hitting Lester first, uh, Hendricks on Monday, which is unfortunate. Um, And then Alec Mills on Tuesday. Um, Quintana is out currently. Darvish just pitched, so we shouldn't run into him. So we've got a shot over those three games against the Cubs. They're at home, so hopefully we can work that a little bit, and then it's into that crazy five games against the uh, Cardinals. Uh, as as far as I'm concerned, it's a matter of putting up runs. You know, the Brewers are currently under scoring less than four runs a game. Uh, it might be more than that uh, after today's output, <laughs> but uh, like last year, they were at four point seven four. But that goes to show what we're working against. Um, they haven't put up. A, they've only scored four runs or more two times in a row five times this season, back-to-back back, five times only. They've only scored four or more runs three times in a row twice. Never more than that. They've never had a stretch of more than three games where they've scored four whole runs or more. So it's it, it's easy to me. Our, our pitching is keeping us in games. If what we did today – can translate over the next, and like you said, hitting is contagious. Hopefully that uh, hitting virus they caught lasts for several days. Um, if it does, we got a shot here. Um, but there's no more being happy with, you know, splitting series. Like we have to start winning series. I still think because of the way that under 500 teams is going to make it in the National League, I'm sure, I still think we – stretch and grab one of those final spots we do have a series against Kansas City who's not good that we can catch up some wins even if we do go around 500 during this uh these next eight games uh and then we've got Cincinnati I know for a series after that I think uh we finish up against the Cardinals again and that would be you know another way to be able to catch up against a team in the playoffs the opportunity is there and we're not that far out so I just my my gut tells me that we're still going to grab one of those last spots, but this time next week, we'll probably have a pretty good idea whether or not that's going to be a reality.
2: Yeah, you make a lot of good points. And it's like, as you said, up until this point in the season, the Brewers have done a good job of not getting swept by teams. They, of course, had that stupid sweep of the Pirates where they lost all three in that one weekend series. But it's been a lot of splitting or salvaging one game of the series. But for now, it's... Put up or shut up time, really. And, you know, you keep saying by next week, yeah, with all these Cardinal games, that certainly does seem like it. But even if the Cardinal series next week doesn't go as well, we still have five more games against them because we haven't played them yet this year. So that last series of the year against the Cardinals, it could come down to the wire and is it going to be a below 500 team that makes it in? I, I certainly think so. Um, it should be an exciting finish, and hopefully we can get some Craig Timber magic going on here to make the postseason for the third year in a row. Yeah, it's it that, that's the one factor we're
0: all forgetting. It's Craig Timber, you know, like it, it's just something that, that 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 happens with this team. The past two years that they've got like I think the second highest winning percentage in all of baseball in the month of September. Uh, they started off like 17-4 and four last year in, in September. Um, I love they ended up getting hot a little bit too early because they weren't able to carry it through into October. Um, yeah, also during the, the YouTube broadcast of the game, they, they started playing the highlights from the wild card game last year that the Brewers lost. I'm just like, why? Why, why are we showing this? Like, the, the, like the, we're not playing the Nationals. The Nationals aren't in this game why are we showing the heartbreak here? Like it, it just, it just, there's no, like, I don't know if they felt bad for, for Tigers fans, for how the game was going. So like, Oh, let's, let's show them the Brewers being sad to, to make it up to them. But it, that was just ridiculous. Um But yeah, it, it's Craig timber and I, I think they draw part of their magic from just, you know, the big crowds at Miller park and whatever else, but, and they're not going to have that this year. Um, but I, I think that they just kind of find a way to, to turn it on and, and get things going uh, in the month of September. And, I mean, they, they know Craig Council's comments past couple of days before and after games. I mean, he's like, it's about time to go. Like, he called he called Wednesday's game here a must – basically a must win. Like, they, they had to get something out of that. And, I mean, they, they just turned it on. The the runs, the, the pitching. Um, so now I, I think they finally have that – That sense of urgency, where where they just got to push, and sometimes you you really just kind of wish that they would have it like earlier in the year, so they could just kind of like coast through a little bit and not cause us all so much stress. But for like the past two years, it's just kind of like you know just kind of keep floating through the first couple months of the season, then hit September, hit the gas, and that that just kind of seems to be what's happening again. I mean, that it's kind of what worked for Washington last year. Uh,
1: They had looked pretty poor for a lot of the season. And then they just just kept ramping up and up and up and up and carried that momentum all the way in. Um, I just, Craig Council, if you're listening to this, which I'm sure you're not, please can we just stick with some of our high performing offensive players? Keep Jed Jerko in that lineup. Jerko with two bombs today. He is, he's hitting outside of his splits this year. I mean, he's, got a better average against um, right-handed batters, actually, which is crazy. He's brought in primarily to face the lefties. He does have the higher OPS versus the lefties, but he's hitting just fine against righties, and it's not for lack of plate appearances. He's got 38 versus lefties, 22 versus righties. So it's not like he's only seen, you know, five, six at-bats against right-handed pitchers. You know, he's doing well. He – I. Thought I had looked up before this that he has the highest OPS now on the team for anyone who's played somewhat regularly. Like just keep that bat in the lineup. Jace Peterson, fine. Like it, it, it was cute with him. He's, he's getting on base. He's actually getting on base over 40% of the time. So I'll give him that. But like I, I'm done with that experiment, especially at first base. Just let Jerko play. Like it's – I don't – of all the players on our team – that are getting limited playing time. He's the one that like frustrates me the most because he's been one of our best offensive players. I get the rotations. I get the platoons and what, but hashtag free jet Jerko. I'm going to start the movement on uh, Twitter if it hasn't been started already.
2: You, you can have the Twitter movement, but man, I've been on the Jed Jerko train for quite some time, and it felt like when everyone was finally starting to catch on to what he was doing this year, then he left for that brief little stint on the bereavement list there. And now he's finally back, and I'm glad you mentioned the splits because he's been crazy good offensively in that regard. And even at first place, first base, he plays such good defense. I was so frustrated with what Justin Smoke was giving us offensively <laughs> and defensively. Jed Jerko is – Man, it's been awesome. But if you really want to stick with hot offensive players the rest of the way to go, as weird as it sounds, I guess we have to keep playing Volgebach then, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> We got to let the, the man who looks like he just got signed off my local softball beer league club <laughs> to keep playing. <laughs> so, you know, if he gets us in the postseason, I don't care what he does next year. Just give us something this year.
1: I had someone at work refer to him as shorter, stockier John Jaha. And <laughs> I was kind of a fan of
0: that. He almost looks like Paul Bunyan to me. Uh, like just, just about how big he like. He could just chop down a tree with one swing. I still can't get over Matt just saying, Chase Peterson, fine. Like, <laughs> 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 uh, I, I, mean, it's, I feel how it, I feel. It's Jace Peterson, you know, like, I, I don't have high expectations. Like, I, I'm sorry, Jace, but, like, I, I just don't, like, at, at this point in his career. Um, but, but yeah, Dan Vogelbach and Justin Smoke out. I don't think we had a chance to talk about that. I think that happened, like, the, the day after um, we recorded our last podcast. So, Justin Smoke, uh, really tough season. Um, really just – he just couldn't get it going at the plate – uh, he was hitting like 056 in his final seven games before the Brewers released him um, or, or DFA'd him and then released him. Uh, so they sent him out. They claimed Dan Vogelbach off waivers. Vogelbach had had five hits all year. Um, and, you know, he's got five hits in just a couple of days now as as a Brewer. Um, so so he's looked good. Uh, but he's he's primarily a DH. He's not really he's not even that much of a first base DH kind of guy. He's just kind of a straight DH. Um, but he's got several years of control remaining and the, and the brewers can at least see what they have in him for a little bit. He's got plenty of power. And if he can hit for a somewhat decent average, um, you know, perhaps he can, he can stick around. But, you know, I, I wrote about this for um, in my article about the first base carousel um, the other day on the site and you know, Volgabach it almost kind of reminds me of Chris Carter in 2016, where a lot of power, a lot of dingers, but a very low batting average. Um, that, that's really kind of been Volgabach's MO. And, and the Brewers had Chris Carter for a year. He tied for the league lead in home runs. And then the Brewers non-tendered him. They, they, they simply were not happy with the fact that he, this was going to be a guy that hit 205, basically, um, on the entire season. So, and, and, if, and last year, Volgabach's best year he hit 208. Like it, it's going to be the same kind of thing um, over a full year. He's, he's going to be hitting right around the Mendoza line. He, he's not going to hit for a high average. So I don't think he's going to be the future at first base. I mean, he, he's a decent guy to have now, but the, the future at first base is still kind of nowhere to be found. Um, and, and there's not really much for prospects. There's not going to be anything really on the free agent market. Um, and it, it's just kind of going to be a, another position where they're just going to have to patchwork it for a while,
1: yeah. And you pointed out a lot of that, um, like you said in your article. There's there's not a lot within the organization. Um, Ersted can play first or third, and he just hopped back up onto the top 30 prospects recently when Devin Williams graduated off of it. Um, but he's been kind of trending downward over the last couple years. Jake Gatewood was the other one you mentioned um, in the organization. He had come back from, I thought it was ACL surgery in the middle of last year. And so the reasons why he got up to a slow start, he was a little okay towards the end of the season, minor league season for the Shuckers. Um, but that's not that's nothing that's going to impact our uh, first base in the majors anytime soon. So you've got those two past that. Um, I think it's Dillard who's worked at first. A little bit. I think he did put a lot of work in there last year, first in outfield. Although they brought him to the alternate site to play catcher this season, that's that's going to have nothing to do with who plays first base next year. And on the free agent market, the biggest name is I think Gurriel. Yep. And like you and said, he's what, 37.
0: thirty-seven or something. Yeah, yeah. He, he's thirty-six now. He'll be thirty-seven next year. Got season.
1: it. Yeah. So it's I. I was hoping that with all these. One year contracts, two year with option contracts that maybe Stearns was looking ahead to 2021 at some free agent options there. But uh if, if first base is where he was looking for, I don't know what he's seeing, if there is anything. So maybe it is maybe that's why he grabbed Vogelbach to see it like, hey, you know, let's give it a shot. And if he turns out to be something, he's only twenty seven. Um he's got the I think you said the four years of control left. Yeah, is that correct? Um, so if he works out, it's a solution, at least for a couple of years. Um, and if not, then we go shopping again. Maybe Jerko comes back. Um, he's another one of those guys on a one year plus an option. Um, it's all these guys have like roughly 4 million a year options. I believe that's what he has too. If he comes back, uh, the way he's performing this year, I wouldn't be complaining that much, but, uh, with all the other names that are getting rotated in there, it's, uh, sure leads to some uh confusion I guess over what's gonna happen with the position going forward. And Vogelbach, just to circle back on him, like you said, he's a DH now. Like and I really have to imagine the DH in the National League is lasting past this season. If it doesn't, then you know, maybe he does factor into it. But if it does, that that's his job going forward. It just is.
2: Man, I can't believe none of you really think Ryan Braun's the first baseman of the future. He's been working there for so long. <laughs> uh, just kidding. That's like one of those position changes that's just is never going to work out. It seems like no matter how many times they try it. I actually this last off season had myself convinced that playing first base would prolong Ryan Braun's cr- playing career because I just don't want to see him leave it, but it's just, it's not a reality as we're alluding to here. But I do think focusing back in on the home end or home stretch of this season, he does have to get back in the lineup on a more consistent basis to help give this team an edge here. And I know there are a lot of double headers coming up and all this, but Braun's just got to lay it all out there when When he's on, he can be a game-changer. We know he's clutch. He's shown that throughout his entire career. And it's the final two weeks of the season, so it's go time for Ryan Braun.
0: Yeah, it's kind of been weird, like, not seeing him in the lineup all the time. I mean, he's basically – it's almost like he's a bench guy, but he's not there because, you know, he's just not good enough to be in the lineup. He's there because he's dealing with some sort of injury. And, you know, that, that's just kind of, you know, been part of it. I mean, he's 36 years old. You know, he's dealt with, you know, numerous injuries and, and surgeries and whatever throughout it, throughout his career. Um, he, he's just kind of getting to that point. And, you know, they, they've been teasing that first base thing for a couple of years now. Um, and, and I think he's played like a grand total of like 12 games over there at, at like during the big league regular season. It, it always just ends up kind of being scrapped. Even now when the Brewers – like legit had no first baseman to play over there, they still wouldn't put Braun at first base. They will put Jerko there. They will put – they are thinking about putting Keston Hura there. They'll put Nottingham there. They'll put literally anyone there but Braun. And Braun's the guy that they've been telling us, oh, yeah, he could play over there, but he never does. So, yeah, it's something where – and I think if they have the DH next year, that's where Braun is going to be spending most of his time which would also cut into the time for Vogelbach and that would just kind of make, you know, it it would be just kind of weird, but you know, Brown's contract is up after this year. He's got the mutual option for next year that the Brewers are for sure going to decline, Um, but they'll probably try to sign him back for less money. Similar to what the nationals did with Ryan Zimmerman this last year, sign him on like a one year, 2 million, $3 million deal. Uh, just, Just something small just to keep him around as long as he wants to play um, and they'll find a role for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just kind of, uh, figuring it out and Braun. Yeah. He's going to have to be in that lineup. You know, he, I mean, he had a home run, he had another home run, uh, here on Wednesday and, you know, he, he just comes up in the big moments. He comes up with the hits when you need it. And he, he's always been that guy and they need that guy as many days as possible uh, throughout the final few weeks of the season.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's going to be all hands on deck with all the – and, you know, we have two doubleheaders packed into next week. Don't forget, we do have one more doubleheader against the Cardinals late in the year where we're actually the home team on the road in that one. So we'll have some games down the stretch, too, where we're going to need, you know, everyone who's available, and that's going to include him. Um, I. You know, it it would have been nice to think about in the future if they can bring him back on a shorter contract, and then if he does just DH, you've got a lefty righty platoon between him and Bogabak potentially. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he comes back. I don't know if he retires. Um, but yeah, like you said, with all the teasing that's happened with him at first base, that's it. We've I think we've all accepted the fact that that's that's done. That's not happening at this point. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you really can lay it to rest. (laughs) Uh, Let's put it all aside. I do think David brings up a good point, though, about even though we feel like we need Ryan Braun, it's just like, where do you put him? Because DHing takes away from Volgebach. If you put him in the outfield, then most likely either Garcia or Ben Gamel have to sit down and I really like the stretch of games that Ben Gamble's been putting together offensively. I know he's been in the leadoff spot here as of late. And I know Garcia missed a few games because he was banged up. But it's like someone's going to miss playing time there, and I just don't know who it's going to be.
0: Don't forget Tyrone Taylor, four for five <laughs> on Wednesday. Three RBIs. First, first big league home run. First big home was... off a position player.
1: That left him a triple shy of the cycle today.
0: Oh man, so close! Almost there. So close. Unfortunately, not every Brewers outfielder can be Christian Yelich. <laughs> All right, I think that's uh, going to just about wrap us up here on uh, this week's episode of the Cold Brew Podcast. i uh, be sure to uh, follow and subscribe on Anchor, on Spotify, Pocket Casts, um, several different platforms uh, where you can find us, the Cold Brew Podcast. Also, be sure to. Uh, follow us on Twitter you can follow at Tyler Kurth or his or his own podcast the Wisconsin trilogy podcast uh, at trilogy pod on Twitter uh, or Matt Carroll at, at Milwaukee at MKE Matt 13 or follow me at D 24 on Twitter and of course follow us at reviewing the brew all the articles that we're talking about are up there that uh, you can look at uh, we'll, we, we will return. Uh, next week for another edition of the cold brew podcast uh, as we hopefully see uh, some play some positive playoff uh, pictures uh, as we get towards end of the season well that'll do it for us this week and be sure to tune in and subscribe as we come back again next week